What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So the word of God reads like this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Everybody say, went to meet. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Everybody say, no oil. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed and all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Everybody said the door was shut. After the other, afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Lord is uh, very brilliant, right, in how he's able to take um, his stories and connect them to the culture of that day and make it very relatable. Amen? That's the, that's the challenge that we have as youth pastors and youth ministers to be able to minister to our young people. We know that the word is active and alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, but we also have to sometimes be able to teach the word that is very relatable to their time in this season. It's very difficult sometimes to connect to certain stories like this one because it was a long, 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 long time ago. Amen? But the Lord was brilliant in this. And what he's doing here when he's talking to the disciples and he's telling them the kingdom of heaven is alike, and he goes into the story of the virgins, what he is describing here is a Galilean wedding. And I was, I was speaking with uh, Drew Mydock a few weeks ago about this, you know, as I was bouncing around what God was uh, showing me and dealing in my heart. And Drew Mydock recommended that I watch Before the Wrath. And it's an excellent documentary. Write it down, jot it down, Before the Wrath. It's free in some platforms, and in some platforms it's not free. Um, but it's an excellent documentary on prophecy and uh, a Galilean wedding, and the story of the virgins. And so some of the content I'm going to give you now comes from that. But in a Galilean wedding, right, and two-thirds of the gospel happened in Galilee. Amen? And so the culture is very important. So what would happen is the bridegroom, all right, young men who, who, are, who, are, who are single, this is for you, all right? Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you single men need to go back to old school, Amen? But, um, but uh, what would happen is the, bride, the, the bridegroom, the groom, would come with his father and the entourage, and they would meet with the bride and her father and their entourage at the city gate. And at the city gate, the elders were there, right, of the city gate. 
And what would happen is word will get around that there is a proposal taking place, and then everybody will gather. Not necessarily family, but a lot of strangers. But when that would happen is now you had a cloud of witnesses, right? That's why, that's why when you get married and you have a whole bunch of people there, it's, they're not just your guests, right? We've lost that. It's like, oh, I just want to invite all the guests. I want them to share this moment with you. No, they're witnesses, and that's why a marriage vow is important. It's not just a vow that you're making before God to one another. You're making it before a cloud of witnesses. And so sometimes we get married and we go through life and we start having marriage problems, right? And in the middle of these marriage problems, we say it's nobody's business. It's everybody's business. It's everybody's business because there was witnesses there. You have a responsibility now to answer to those people that were there at your wedding celebrating you, walking you through that time that you guys almost broke up and didn't make it together and your sisters prayed with you and now they're celebrating because you didn't break up and you got married. You have a responsibility. And so there'll be this big cloud of witnesses and um, the bride, the groom, uh, the groom's father would read a proposal and it was a written proposal. We weren't playing here, right? Put it down on paper. It was a written proposal. So that way there would be no misunderstanding, all right, of how this was going to go down. And after the proposal was written, they would exchange gifts. And, of course, the most extravagant gift will go to the bride, right? We still see that today. She gets that big ring, right? You know, a <laughs> big ring you could put, probably put two house payments on. But anyways, I'm just saying, right? She gets the most extravagant gift, Right? And uh, you can own some real estate, but you'd rather have, amen, praise God, amen. So I'm just saying, so she gets the most extravagant gift, and, and, then, and then what would happen is they would give a jar um, of wine to the groom with a, with, a, with a cup, and he would fill it up, and he would reverently and gently pass it over to the bride-to-be. And at that moment, she had all the power and the authority. To reject the proposal. She had all the free will, right? The bride had all the free will to say no. But what she, in this moment, <laughs> for, for this sermon, she drank of the cup. Accepting the proposal. And then she would give that cup back to the, to the groom. And then he would drink from it. And, and when he would drink from it, the covenant was sealed. And he would say something like this. You are now consecrated to me by the law of Moses. And I will not drink of this cup again until I drink of it anew with you in my father's house. That's why Jesus has always been the greatest communicator of all, of all time. Because the parallel to that is the Last Supper, right? Jesus offers a cup of wine to his disciples, and once they have all drank from the cup, Jesus said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there was a covenant that was being made. Jesus is saying, I'm about to spill my blood, and we're going to drink of this cup together, and I promise you, come on now, I promise you, I'm coming back. And we will be together again. And so the question, one question that I have for you this morning is, have you accepted that proposal? And it brings me so much joy because I know so many of you and I know that you have. 
right? You remember that day, whether it was in your living room, whether it was at your lowest point of your life, whether it was in a church, whether you were five years old in Sunday school, where all of a sudden Jesus tugged at your heart and you surrendered and you accepted the cup and you drank from it and you became his bride at that moment. That gets me so excited. You should be excited about that because you accepted that proposal. Because you are his bride, because I am his bride, and he is coming back for us. And where he is, there we will be also. And then there may be some of you that you say, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I drank of that cup. I'm, I'm not sure if that's where I am in my life right now. I'm, you know, I'm just here. I just got invited, you know, to, to don't push the issue. I understand. I understand. I'm excited for you, too. I'm excited because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive a grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So today could be your day. In Psalms 95, verse 6 through 8, um, it says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at, as at Meribah and as the day of Massa in the wilderness. And what he's referring to here is the story of, of uh, the people of Israel. When they, they come out of Egypt, they're in Massa. All of a sudden, there's no water. They start complaining to Moses, and they say something like this. You brought us, you, you took us out of, right? So he takes them out of slavery, oppression, right, suffering, and they're there at this spot, and they're saying, you took us out of that and brought us here so we can die of thirst. You might as well just left us there. And that's what the Lord is talking about here in Psalms. He's saying, don't harden your heart. And so there may be some of you here today that you haven't accepted Jesus' proposal because your heart is heart. Your heart is hard. You've had loss. You've had suffering. You're tired of what you've seen in the news, politics, whatever it is. Your church hurt. The Lord is saying to you today, don't harden your heart. So, Father, in Jesus' name, if there's someone in this place that their heart is hard, you love them. And I pray, Lord, that your word and your Holy Spirit will bring that revelation of how much you love them. And I pray that their heart will become soft to the rain, Father. Rain, lots of rain in these next couple of minutes. Lots of rain, Father, that will break up the fallow ground. We ask that you do it in Jesus' name. So in this text with the ten, ten virgins, we see five wise and five unwise. What separates the wise from the unwise? <laughs> Was it that they fell asleep? No, no, because all, all ten of them got drowsy, right? All ten of them fell asleep. So it's not the drowsiness that separates them, that separates the wise from the unwise. Is it, is it the oil? Um, no, not really, because they all had oil, right? Right? Amen, they all had oil. So it's not that that separates the wise from the unwise. What separates them is the amount of oil. It's the amount of oil. 
And I know that, you know, possibly at this moment, some of us are, our wheels are turning, right? Because when I, when, I, when, I, when I prepare these teachings, I like to be my, my own worst enemy and, and, and I argue with myself. My wife listens to me in the other room. Sometimes she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just had an argument because, you know, this, you know, Calvinistic side was yelling at this Baptist side and the Pentecostal jumped in and we're just all arguing with each other and the predestination guy's beat up on the floor. He's not getting back up. Anyways, just, just that type of, type of scene. <laughs> but I know that some of us are thinking, wait, wait, wait. Like when you start talking about amount of oil, are you talking about performance? Are you talking about a competition that I need to have more than this? Because that's, because that's not correct. And I, and I would say to you, you're right. It's not correct. It's not about performance, Right. It's not about me having more oil than you. So it's not, when I say the amount of oil, it's not about that. But when I say it's about the amount of oil, about the quantity, I'm referring to the measure of the oil based on your maturity. See, the more mature you are in Christ, the more oil you have in your lamp. And, and that that's, could be argument, argumentative, but you won't win that argument. Right? Because if you're a young man, right, um, you're a young man who's not married, you don't have children, right, and you, come, and you come to me and you want to be discipled, you want to be discipled because you see something there, right? You, you're trying to attain maybe, man, I want to be married someday. I want to have children one day, right? I want to I be a good grandpa, right? There's something that you see. There's a fruitfulness in my life, Right? For me to be able to at least have any type of success in being this type of parent, there has to be some crushing, right? There had to be some crushing in my life, some failing in my life. I became a stepdad at 17 and a half years old. I had no clue what I was doing. I became a husband at 17 and a half years old. I had no clue what I was doing. I have failed hard. I have had a lot of repentance towards my wife, towards my children, towards my children as little kids, towards my children as middle schoolers. I had to, I had to repent to them as, as, as they got into high school because every year, every, every aspect of their life, I learned how to be a better father. Amen? And so now even as adults, when my children are coming up to me, I remember... Uh, 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 Pastor Bill Hobbs, he spoke one time, and he told his story about his father, and I stepped out for a minute, and then I came back. He was doing the altar call, and my daughter, Destiny, comes running up to me, and she starts crying on my shoulder, <laughs> and then she says, I'm sorry for, you know, for how I've treated you at times and the things I've said, but then she also said, and I forgive you. She goes, because you just didn't know. And it was something that she heard in the message. She, you didn't know. You, you didn't know, but you, you were doing your best. And so, and so the point I'm trying to make here is that the more maturity you have in Christ, the more oil you have in your lamp because you're able to speak and to teach and to share from a place of authority that God has given you, not because you've earned it, but because you went through it. And you were able to have the knowledge of the Son of God in that situation. And now you're able to stand from that place and give him glory and be a testimony. Can I hear somebody say amen? And so 
And so maturity comes through intentional relationship with Jesus. Intentionality is a sign of stewardship because they realized the preciousness and the value of that relationship. The five wise virgins realized the preciousness and the value of that relationship. So this intentionality produces maturity and growth and understanding and the knowledge of what is before them and what is to come. They understood, man, we, there was a proposal here. There was a written proposal. We drank of a cup. I accepted because I want to be his bride. And so they understood there was a knowledge. This is what's before me, and he's coming back for me. Amen? And so for them, there was an intentionality in this relationship that they had. What is it that is to come for us? The son. The son is coming back. Knowledge and what he has done and what he is doing and what he is going to do. Many times our knowledge is just based on today. This is all the knowledge that we get. But God is seeking a relationship that even when we are at home and we're going from our day-to-day life, Father, what have you done? Lord, what are you doing now? And Lord, what are you going to do? And how do I align in that as a parent? As a business person, in the marketplace, in my day-to-day, doing growth. How do I align in your will for my life? That's intentional relationship because you know what's before you. You know who's coming. That's the difference between the wise and the unwise. See, the encouragement here today is that we've all accepted this proposal, right? And so if you accepted this proposal, that means that you have oil. And let me tell you why. See, oil is a representation of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our precious gift given to us as our helper. Holy Spirit's role is to make us aware, bring revelation and knowledge of the Father and the Son and their truth and movement over and in through our lives. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's our gift, right? Jesus had to go so he can come. Jesus had to go so he can come. In the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit sometimes was over them and sometimes in them. Amen? And so he's the precious gift that's given to us. When you came to Jesus, there's a gift for you. And that gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. We're not talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about certain evidences. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so, and so he's a representation Oil is the representation of Holy Spirit. Oil is also, everybody say also. Oil is also the anointing and the unction of the power of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm Pentecostal at heart, charismatic. So when I say power, it's got a power. It's got to come out like that. It's just, I can't be that person that's like, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. It's power. Just can't, you know, I, I, I just can't do it, you know. So, I, so, so eloquence. The supernatural, creative miracles, deliverance, true consecration. All these things happen through Holy Spirit. So you have oil. That's something to rejoice about. Say, I have oil. Look at your neighbor. Tell them you have oil. Wink at them. Say, probably not more than me, though. (laughs) 
The amount of oil is dependent on your maturity. The growth of your maturity is dependent on the intentionality of your relationship with Holy Spirit. This is all dependent on how you decide to store your relationship with Holy Spirit. See, there are scriptures that warn us how fragile this walk is when we're passive and not pursuing growth and maturity. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Galatians 5, 7 and 9. These are little verses that remind us how fragile this walk is, right? Because the word grace just gets tossed around so freely. And it's, oh, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. I was ministering to a young man one time who was struggling with, you know, uh, sex out of marriage. And he was struggling with that. And um, he's grown up in the church. And as I'm talking to him, he said, well, what does it matter? God knows anyways. He's going to work it all out for the good. I mean, it was no surprise to him what I did. I mean, I know I shouldn't have done it. Do you see the framework of that belief system? How well would that work in your marriage? How well would that work in your, in your marketplace, in your job? I mean, I, I know I'm supposed to be here on time, but, like, everybody oversleeps, right? And, like, I hit the snooze button. I did. I meant to be here at 9. I know it's 11, but come on, boss. I mean, everybody does it. Tell me how that works out for you. You see that belief system? And so there is a requirement. There is a requirement. And so, and so we have to understand that we can never say never, Right? So that's why the Lord says things like be watchful, right? Be alert for the enemy, right? He's not, he's not talking to the unsaved. He's talking to the church. And so I say to you, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Another verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. What does that mean? That means it is your responsibility to steward a relationship with Holy Spirit because you got to keep in step with Him. Right? Right? My, you know, I don't, listen, we, my, me and my wife have been married a long time. But I just don't walk out the house and be like, all right, peace, see you later. Like, that, it's not like I, I give right, a hug, a kiss. We don't know if this is the last time we're going to see each other. And I don't be like, you know, where are you going? I'll let you know. Like, that don't work, guys. That don't work. And if that works in your house, there's something wrong. There's something wrong, right? There's an accountability. We, we are in step together. We are in step together. So I need to know where she is and where I am all the time. If something happens, where arms reach to each other. I think that was a reality for those of you that remember 9-11, right? I was, in, I, was, I was 30 minutes away from downtown New York. And all of a sudden, I was working for an ambulance company. So you can imagine the pagers and the radios going off. And all of a sudden, I'm like... Boom, where are you? I'm dropping off the kids. How many did you drop off? I dropped up to go pick two up. Why? Don't ask any questions. Just pick the two kids up. And she's like, okay, don't tell nobody why. Just go in there, smile, and say, hey, I'm picking up. Because if, 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 
if you go in there and you say something, it's going to be pandemonium. She ran in there. She got the kids. By the time she was coming out, there was a whole bunch of parents running in there trying to get their kids, trying to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing in this moment in your life? What decisions are you on the brink of making? And have you asked Holy Spirit, I want to be in step with you. I want to move with you, right? If you're trying to make a deal, Lord, is this the deal you want me to make? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 17 is a, good, is a good portion of scripture for you to read through when you have some time. Growth and maturity is a requirement. Everybody say requirement. Growth and maturity is a requirement. And it is an expectation that the Lord has made us responsible for through our pursuit. We have the great responsibility of stewardship. Many of us are better stewards of our families than we are our spiritual wellness. We're better stewards of our money and our business than we are our own. We're better stewards of our kids' sleeping habits, health, and careers than we are our prayer life. We have built our houses while the Lord's house is barely hanging on. And so when others look at our house, all there is is an external interest, no internal interest. How'd you get that? How'd you manage that? There's no internal interest. They're not looking like there's something different. How you, how you talk, how you made that decision, how you, how you walk. There's, they're not searching for something internal. Everything's external. So there's no glory to God, but glory to principles only. There's no glory to God, only glory to behaviors and strategies and books that we've read and vows that we've made that I won't become like so-and-so while in the same time we're not becoming like. I'm too busy. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to raise my children that way. And we put all our focus in that. And in the meantime, we forget to become like the ultimate teacher, the ultimate communicator, the real man. The real man, right? That happens a lot. We hear that, that, that that's been through years and years and years that I've heard, man of God, our soldiers, your warriors, you got to carry your sword. You got to be armor bearers. And that's all true. That is all true, right? Right? Back in David's day, the king will go and, and he will be at the front and he would, he, he would be at the front, you know, slaying the people in front of him, but they weren't necessarily dead. And he would just keep it moving. And then his armor bearers would come behind and chop that head off and then keep going. That's true. That is very true. But that's how we grow up in the faith. I'm a warrior. I'm a soldier. And so when you fail, you're trying to figure out how do I fail as a warrior, as a soldier. And then you're trying to figure out how do I fail as a husband, as a father. Because all along... You never knew how to be a son. And so, <laughs> some of us are not good sons. Some of us are not good sons because we don't know how to be a good son. And so that's why this is important. This is how we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It is an intentional relationship. Ananias and Sapphira stick out to me, right? 
Sometimes we want to remove, oh, what happened in the Old Testament happened in the Old Testament. Jesus had died, resurrected, ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit came, and two people dropped dead in the middle of, in the middle of everyone. I think, in my opinion, and I'll say that again, in my opinion, I think that's, that was God just saying, hey, I'm, I'm still him. You know, I'm still, don't, don't, okay? I'm, like, I'm still... You know, I'm still that guy, right? That was God saying. But at the same time, something that sticks out to me here is that not, not, that, not so much that Ananias didn't have the maturity to understand that he was lying to the Holy Spirit, but that his wife had more loyalty to her husband than to God. And so she also paid that price. These, these, I point these little things out because these are little things of maturity that we all need to work on in our life, right? It's important. The Lord says things like don't be tossed to and fro. Don't be fooled. Don't have itchy ears. Don't be led astray, right? Second Peter 2.21. I, I, let me read this one to you. Second Peter 2.21. He says, for, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. And so that's why we got to be careful when we throw these scriptures out about, oh, gosh, it's just grace. We fall down and we get, and we get just so caught up in that that we have this freedom to just live how we want to and not understanding that the Lord is requiring certain things of us. And he's requiring those things for us because he loves us. I remember one time I wanted to do something really bad, man. Somebody hurt my daughter. I want to do something really bad. And I remember this brother, he got me, Brother Nestle. Out of all people, Brother Nestle sat me down and he went just like this. He said, listen to me. I mean, I was seeing red. I'm telling you. He said, listen to me. He slammed the Bible. He said, this is your border. These four corners is your border. Man, I remember weeping so much that that moment because I understood that whatever happened next was my decision. It was my decision. And so it is important for us to understand that this life is fragile. We can, we can return back to our own vomit, right? See, our growth cannot be based on these moments. Our, our life, our Christian what, cannot be based on moments. Amen? <laughs> uh, because we cannot afford to live off these moments. These phrases and these they're scriptures, and they are here to make clear and to challenge us to be intentional in our growth and preparation. We cannot ask our kids to be faithful, to do your homework, to be on time, to respect your teacher, to be obedient, to be diligent, to work hard, and you turn around and not live the same way unto your Father in heaven. 
So when a lot of young people start walking away, it's, 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 it's don't blame the youth pastor or the church. Do a self-inventory first and say, Lord, Lord, me first. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying it's a good practice. Me first, Lord. Everybody say me first. So when you look at the, at the virgins, it says they, they took and went to meet him. They took and went to meet him. Our walk is an intentional walk that requires action and intention. This is not a, a passive walk, but instead is an expectant walk, a walk that requires readiness, preparation, consistency, and expectation. I'm keep driving this in. This is like your meal prep days, right? If you decide not to prep your meal, now you find yourself overspending on your budget, eating out, or eating foods you're not supposed to eat, or eating at times you don't supposed to eat. Why? Because you decided... Not to prep. We have to prep. We have to stay ready. This is like saving, not saving money for your goals and vacations and commitments. This is like going out on a day with your baby and you forget to bring enough diapers. Hello, somebody. Thank God for Apple Pay. I don't know what Android's got, but we got Apple Pay. Amen. Woo, let's go. How uncomfortable is that, right? Like, I walk in there, I know everybody accepts Apple Pay. I don't know, like, what the Android people do, like. Do you, like, I don't know, I don't know, but anyways, I just wanted to break the ice a little bit, <laughs> In the Galilean culture, once a groom proposed to the, bride, to the bride and the bride accepted, the groom would go away and then make preparations. He would prepare their home, he would craft new furniture, he would negotiate for the items and materials for that wedding and for their home. Just like Jesus is going to, go, going to prepare a place for us. Amen. Is that beautiful? Then the, pri the bride will go into a waiting period not knowing at all when the groom would return. So the bride and her bridesmaids would go and gather their materials for the dresses and gowns. And then when they will go to sleep, they will go to sleep dressed, ready, with oil and their lamps. Because in that tradition, many times the groom came at night. What is ready? I mean, really, what, what does ready mean? See, ready is not a list of do's and don'ts. Ready is not a matter of achievements or performance. Ready is something, it's not something to be earned. Ready is growing in maturity. So when people say, like, are you ready? The Lord is coming. You don't have to be like, oh, my God, did I, did I cut somebody off? Like, you don't have to. It's not that. It's like, wait a minute. Where's my maturity at? Where, where's my walk with, with the Lord? Is, is, is there an intentional relationship with the Holy Spirit here? Growing in maturity is a matter of how much you value their relationship. Right? How much you value their relationship. Right? And so a lot of times I'm talking to a lot of single young men or single young women, and they have all of these criterias on what he's supposed to be like and what she's supposed to be like. But, but what about God's criteria? Like, what about, what about our responsibility to stewardship to be a precious daughter or a precious son? Right? What about that criteria? How much you value the relationship is based on the knowledge of the one you are in relationship with. So, so, so you go... So, so knowing the one you're in relationship with is a matter of intentional courting. 
It's intentional communication. It's, it's, there's an intimacy there, a transparency. It's a matter of confession of our nakedness and allowing the one to cover you in your shame. It's a matter of allowing the healer to touch you and minister to you and the one you are in relationship with to enter into rooms that are off limits to you and to anybody else because he wants you whole and wants you to be a reflection of his glory. That what he is doing in you and through you he wants it to reflect in others as well. This is the knowledge, right? You value that relationship by how much you know that person. How much do we know Holy Spirit? How much do we know the oil? How much do we know his unction? How much do we know that? Because it's not spoken a lot of, but how much do we know? See, this still may look a little suspect, but I don't know. This is It's a stretch. It sounds like... You're asking us to grow, but maybe the Lord is really not requiring that of us. Whew, man. I mean, maturity is growing your character. Maturity is renewing your minds, right? Romans 12, 2. Maturity, it's, it's a refreshing through confession and repentance. Acts 3, 19, right? Times of refreshing will come, Right? Even David, even David in Psalms 51 said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. Restore unto me what? The joy of what? Your salvation of something that he had already experienced back then. He experienced something. He felt he lost it. And he's asking God, give me that back again. Why? Because he was in a relation. He knows there's nothing else that can fill him. It's a heart posture. It's a surrender. In Joel, I love this verse. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yeah, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping. And with mourning, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. It reminds me of Matthew 6, 21. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He, he says, I don't want nothing else but your heart. Maturity is a must for Jesus. So what are we doing with our newfound love? Some questions that I had to ask myself. What are we doing with this love? What are we doing with our communication with him? What are we doing with our learning of his words? What are we doing with the dying to self part? What are we doing with that part? What does that look like? What are we doing with the community he has given us? You know what's crazy? I, I, just, I just can't see. I just can't see how these unwise virgins did not, like they completely ignored community. Completely ignored community. First of all, it's hard for me to believe that there were not 
older women there telling them, you, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. I know I have enough. Right? I don't know why I use that voice, but like, <laughs> I have, no, it's, it's good. I did the math. I Googled it, right? Like, no, I have enough. So I, first, I can't see that happening. And second, I can't, I can't imagine that these five unwise virgins are in the same room with five wise virgins who have oil and a flask. Right? <laughs> and, so, and so I could almost see them saying, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. You don't need all that oil, girl. You're doing too much. You pray too much. You study too much. You take too much notes. You always at the feet of Jesus. You always at prayer. You're all too religious. You're always busy for the Lord. You're always in your house church, right? Like, you do too much. Like, I just can't, I can't see how they didn't pick up on that. And so let me share this with you, right? I was sharing this with a brother the other day, right? In community, when you're in community, right? Like, like Ronnie, come up here, right? When you Come up here, Ronnie. Come right here. So you, when you're in community, right, he's, he's the bride, right? And I'm his bridesmaid, right? And Jesus... And Jesus is coming back, right? And yeah, I, I have to do it like this because it's hard for guys to understand that we're brides, right? But, and so, and so the bridegroom is coming. And so Ronnie jumps up, right? Because the bridegroom is coming. And I'm like, and I'm his bridesmaid. And I'm like, hold on, let me get, let me get you ready, right? And that, you're, you're, you're trimming. I'm, I am trimming it. No, you're not trimming it. Like, okay, what do you do? Right? Because that's what bridesmaids do. They, they want to make sure that the bride is excellent, right? So, Pay attention to this, right? So that's, as, as a community to him, I am making sure that he is walking in maturity and readiness, right? And intentionality for what is to come for a commitment that he made before a cloud of witnesses, right? Now, if Ronnie starts saying, no, I don't want to wear them. I don't want to wear that. Like that. Okay. Well, let's at least get the, no, I don't like that. If Ronnie starts doing that, you can have a seat, Ronnie. Thanks. Clap for Ronnie. Listen, I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. If Ronnie starts doing that, that's disobedience. And at that moment, catch this, at that moment, as a bridesmaid, in this context, in this time that we live in, with the coming of Jesus, I have to remember, you want to be disobedient. That's affecting me. So even though I'm your community and I'm your bridesmaid, I also have to remember I'm a bride myself. You see that? So it's those verses that say, carry one another's burdens. But then there's another verse that says, you guys know it? Let every man carry his own burden. Which one is it? It's both. And the reason it's both is because I can help Ronnie get your stuff ready. Let's go, dude. He's coming back. But I can't make him do it. 
So I can encourage you, hey, brother, come on, man, we got to get in this word. We got to read. Hey, let me give you four scriptures to look at. Let's study it together. Meet me here every Wednesday or every Thursday. Let's pray together. Hey, let's break into a fast. I can do all of that, but I can't fast for you, brother. I can't pray for you, my man. That is a relationship responsibility that you have to the commitment that you made to this groom that is coming back for you and he's not just a groom he's the groom he's not just a king he's the king and I can't do that for you it has to be an intentional awareness that says man I can't be disobedient so in community remember that we are all bridesmaids to each other but at the same time we're all a bride can I hear somebody say amen And so we wonder, wait, why didn't they share their oil with them? Because I can't do that for you, baby. I can't do that for you. That's something that you needed to do yourself. You were told, you were trained, you were counseled, you were ministered to, you were prayed for, you did inner healing, we laid hands on you, you were delivered, you went back, we got you back out, and then you went back again. Listen, at some point, he's coming back, and I'm going to get to I love you, but... You should have been right, right here with me. There's no excuse because there is a responsibility. So what are you saying this? So we're saying, do we leave people behind? No, they leave themselves behind. So that's why maturity is important for all of us. It is important for us to walk in this maturity. Sometimes, sometimes, the outer appearance looks like we're mature. There's a proverb. Proverbs 11.22 says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Queen Jezebel's death, and, and, and when I talk about Jezebel, this is for men and women, right? Because there's, there's a lot of, that sometimes we're like, oh, Jezebel, no, it's, it's both. It's a spirit. Queen Jezebel's death provided a grisly example of the differences between outward beauty and inner discretion. She is traditionally assumed to be very beautiful, but clearly lacked moral character. On balance, in the eyes of God, she was ugly as a pig. She wickedly killed the Lord's prophets, 1 Kings 18. Led Israel into Baal worship, 1 Kings 21. And put a contract on the life of the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 19. The earth's last glimpse of Jezebel saw her with a painted face and an adorned head in 2 Kings 9. But moments later, she was thrown out of the window, trampled by horses, and eaten by dogs in 2 Kings 9, 31 through 27. Her lack of morality brought her to a horrific end. We can conclude that the foolish versions took their proposal, vow, and union for granted and very lightly. For them, it was almost like, whatever. We should be good with the oil that we have. It is in community that wisdom is nurtured and harvested, right? There's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. And the worship team could come up. I want to close with this. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. You know, I struggle with this sermon because, you know, I, 
been teaching for a long time for, for the life of me. I just couldn't get three points down on paper. And then I tried to do two other sermons that I believe God, some things that God's been working out in my heart. And the Lord's like, no, I, this is what I want you. This is what I want you to do. And I was telling my wife, right? I was telling my wife, isn't it amazing how there's a possibility that the church in the West and even now around the world, we have conditioned people to look at sermons, to look, not at sermons, to look at portion of scriptures as sermons. We've conditioned the world to say, um, story of prodigal son. Oh, I know three points. And so, so, so a lot of people have become so lazy in studying and reading the word and saying, Lord, studying and reading the word adds to my oil. It adds to my maturity. It speaks to me that we get to the place that we, when we look at a portion of scripture, we can extract three or four points that we heard from some preacher sometime because it was our favorite sermon of all time because it was the best way that sermon, that portion of scripture was communicated because it was the best way we understood it and we never go back to it and we condition people to that. But Jesus ne never said point number one. As a matter of fact, there's a wealth of treasure in every verse. A wealth of treasure in every verse. And that's why the Holy Spirit is important. The oil is important. Because that's how I'm able to hear a verse or a word from Pastor Bill, or Pastor Rick Merrill, or Pastor Bill Rodriguez. I'm able to hear a word from them. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminds me of something I heard in 95 or read in 95. And the Holy Spirit begins to connect this treasure to that treasure a long time ago. And that same verse could be given to my brother Stephen. And it reminds him of something that the Lord told him a couple of months ago. You see how the Holy Spirit works? There is no end to God's treasure. But when we condition ourselves to look at the word a certain way, then we limit the flow of the river in our lives. So I was like, Lord, he was like, just, just say it. I said, okay, Lord. <laughs> so I want to read this to you, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. By way of reminder. And that is my heart, that we will be reminded today of the proposal that we've made and the commitment that we have unto the groom that's coming back for us and the responsibility that he's given us to walk in maturity and to develop our walk in Jesus and not throw a temper tantrum in the middle of Publix when things don't go our way. There's a verse that says, that says some have swerved from the faith. Swerved. Everybody go to this. Swerved. Some have swerved from the faith. You know, I can move like that, huh? Some have swerved from the faith. You know what swerving is? When you're, in, when you're on the road and one of those iguanas crosses you, you don't want to hit the iguana. Maybe some of you care for her, but I, I just don't want that green stuff all over my car. So I swerve because there's a contradiction in the road. She doesn't supposed to be there. There's a puppy in the road. You swerve because that puppy doesn't supposed to be there. That's a contradiction, Right? Kid runs across the street. You swerve. That's a, that kid wasn't supposed to be there at that time. That's a contradiction. So some swerve 
swerve away from the faith. How do we swerve away from the faith? When Jesus contradicts your feelings, your emotions, your traditions, your beliefs, your visions, your dreams, your wants. And all of a sudden there's a contradiction. Well, well, I thought she was going to be my, I, I thought he was going to be my, well, I thought this was going to be my business. Wait, I thought this was going to be my, wait, wait, hold on. I thought I was going to buy that. Wait, I thought, and there's a contradiction and we want to swerve. Well, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to. And we start swerving and, and he says, some have swerved away from the faith because they're offended by the decision that God makes over their life about something that they cared a lot about. But Jesus is saying, I'm the one that you're supposed to care the most about. So by way of reminder, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, guys. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by that means of these, the world that, water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the same heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow, church. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient towards you. There's a lot of patience that the Lord is having because he desires for no man to perish. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But that day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away and roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for a hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwell. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and that peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Can I hear somebody say amen? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, me, 
Us, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge. But grow. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of what? Of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you for your son. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, your willingness, your love for us, your continual intercession. How you have prepared a place for us. And how you're in heaven. Longing for your bride. Waiting for the day. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to have an extra flask of oil. Help us to mature. Help us to walk in intentional relationship with you. So that you can reveal to us. What it says in John, I and the Father and him and me and I love him and he loves me. And this is what I desire for you. Holy Spirit, reveal this. Reveal this to us in such an intimate way. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. More of you. More than what we can ask, think, or imagine. More than what we've ever experienced. Because we want to be ready. Prayer partners, come up. Listen. Come up for prayer. Prayer partners are going to be up here. If you want to pray in your seat, make that on altar. If you want to come up to the altar and kneel down, you can do that as well. Some of you are standing next to each other. You're discipling people. Pray for them. Lay hands on them. Because we're all each other's bridesmaids, but we're all a bride. Have your way, Jesus. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.